Hello, and welcome to Rise of the Data Cloud. Today's episode features an interview with Omar Kawaja, Global Head of BI for Roche Diagnostics at Roche. Omar is an expert in his field and has a wealth of insight on what's going on in the diagnostics and research industry. On this episode, Omar talks about the intersection of healthcare and big data, how to handle the balance of centralized and decentralized data, the future of data sharing, and much more. So please enjoy this interview between Omar Kawaja and your host, Steve Ham. Well, it's good to have you here, Omar. Our listeners have heard of Roche, but they may not know that it's the largest pharmaceutical company in the world, and that the name Roche is short for F. Hoffman LaRoche AG, and that it owns a much more familiar name in U.S. biotech, Genentech. So if you would, please begin by describing the scope of the company and then focus in on Roche Diagnostics, where you work. Uh, Hi, Steve. Thanks for having me here on the podcast today. Really appreciate it. Pleasure to be here. Uh, You're right. Roche is a leader in pharmaceutical healthcare industry. We have two big divisions, pharmaceuticals and diagnostics. And the company that you mentioned, Genentech, is a leader and pioneer in the biotech area which we acquired back in, I think, 2009, if I'm not wrong, quite a long time ago. And this is part of our pharmaceutical division as well. Uh, In fact, interesting fact, which I've been told, and I'm eager to visit that site one day, the headquarters in the US in the Bay Area is actually the same place where Genentech operations were uh, running out of. So that's an interesting story there. Diagnostics is also a key part of Roche Group, and I work for the IT team for Roche Diagnostics with the area of responsibility of business intelligence and analytics and data associated with that. And in the world of diagnostics, we are also a leader in terms of in vitro diagnostics, which I guess I can talk about if the listeners are interested. There are some other facts as well in terms of our reach. So we are truly a global company. In fact, we are celebrating 125 years since we were formed back in 1896 in Basel. Our headquarters, the global headquarters are based out of here. Our employees, more than 100,000 plus people are all across the globe. And I think one thing which is most important is the purpose of the company, which is doing now what patients need next. Such a simple purpose and such a powerful purpose, which inspire all of these 100 plus thousand people to come to work every day. I'm curious about Roche Diagnostics. Does it design and sell the diagnostics equipment or just the technology for processing and analyzing the test results? As a patient, we all have experience of some kind of testing. And since we are in 2021, I think what we have learned in 2020 is all about COVID and tests, et cetera. And everybody have gone through that cycle worldwide. This pandemic has brought all of us together in that way. And the diagnostic area is quite interesting. We somehow overlook that and maybe underemphasize the importance of diagnostics. In case of Roche, we are the leader in the in vitro diagnostics, which means when the test that you use the blood or urine or other tissue samples coming out of human body, that's the tests that are done on those samples. That could be qualified in very layman, non technical terms as in vitro diagnostics. Our focus is a number of disease areas, whether it is cardiology or uh, nervous systems or hematology or uh, women's health in general uh, or neurology. So we have tests for various things. 
In terms of our products range, we have testing equipment. For the labs, we have lab automation and software. We have disease management solutions. So both in hardware and software, as you were asking. I want to take the conversation up a level here for just a second and talk about just the whole field of medicine and healthcare. It seems like it's going through a real revolution with personalized medicine, the Internet of Things, making it possible to monitor people's health much more intensely and continuously. Are these things creating a spike in demand for your products and services? And also, are they creating a spike in the production of data that has to be stored, managed and analyzed? That's a great question, Steve. I mean, we are all experiencing this as patients or if we are closely associated with any life sciences in, in any possible way. So I can give you examples, which I think uh, everybody will be able to relate to. We can see a big trend where the healthcare and the solutions are becoming more consumerized, which is also driven by the various maturity levels of the digitalization of the solutions. The stakeholder engagements that we do in a classic way is changing to more digital. And this was accelerated last year with, unfortunately, thanks to pandemic, the focus has shifted to patient outcomes in various different ways. We are, as a healthcare industry, not just Roche, I guess we are also focusing on how we manage this, how we measure this how the patient data is collected. It is becoming more and more real-time versus a very classic approach of doing things on paper and then collecting them. Uh, as a patient, aren't we all becoming more aware of these things? Look at our consumer health devices like Apple Watch, but we can do things on it which we were unable to do without visiting a lab or a doctor or a clinic a few years ago. Uh, similarly, we are also now aware of our own data, right? We want to own this. We want to have control and visibility. Uh, as a patient, I would personally love to contribute my data for the advancements of patients, for example. And then another key trend where very non-traditional players are driving, we have all the big tech companies jumping in into this area. So that's a huge impact. And they bring in with the knowledge of what you can do with technology, for example, especially when it comes to data, building scalable platforms, which are integratable in the large ecosystems. And last but not the least, uh, this uh, whole digitalization is also happening in a very classic internal value chain context, which we cannot forget because uh, we are applying now more and more uh, automated process we are applying more and more application of AI, data sciences in our processes. The awareness around data, its quality has increased. And with all of these things happening, to your point, data is being generated all over the place. Now, I don't have a number on the top of my head, which I can tell you, but I believe that we are generating more data in, than ever before, every day. And the best thing we can do with the data is to make use of it. And I guess that is the direction that we are also taking in Roche, that how we take the advantage of the amazing synergies we have in pharma and diagnostics and how we elevate the past of companion type of diagnostics where we used to have medicine for every other solution, moving towards a more targeted medicine for a different disease areas. And going towards this individualized treatments, which will only be powered if we are able to make a sense of the data and uh, apply advanced analytics on it. So that's the future uh, it looks like with all these trends taking place. Yeah, that's really interesting. You know, when I think about it, I think in the past, 
a lot of that real-time diagnostics data or near real-time stuff was all just like a single line of data coming in. But now it's integrated. You might have five different kinds of data that address a, a singular issue or something that, that is happening with a patient. So it seems like having the data all in one place and shareable and, and integratable is like absolutely critical to the revolution that's going on in medicine today. Now, you mentioned before the COVID-19 pandemic. Roche Diagnostics has been in the middle of this crisis. You have a bunch of tests, the molecular, the antigen, the antibody test, each with its own strength and weakness or purpose. So if you could tell us, how did Roche react when the crisis emerged and how has it responded to the pandemic since then? This hasn't that impacted everybody in a mega scale worldwide. Uh, we are impacted personally and also at a professional level. As a leader in the healthcare industry, especially in the diagnostics area, we have an integral role to play here. And that's what we have done with the availability of all the tests uh, or the different type of tests that you have mentioned. We have made sure that the testing solutions in all different shapes and forms, they are available all across the board in all the geographies where they are approved. And we have been working closely with our partners and governments, healthcare providers and other various players in the industry to make it work. Plus, we have not to lose sight on what's happening outside the COVID world as well with the remainder of the portfolio commitments that we have. So we need to also make sure that uh, we are able to continue to provide uh, those products out there, or whether it is tests or medicine. So we need to take care of the employees as well and the partners that we work with. So how to make sure that we continue to work in a virtual world, in a safe environment where it was necessary still to come to office, and that has been on top of our agenda since this pandemic started, or at least since I joined Roche last year in the middle of pandemic and experienced some of these amazing practices that are in place, which help us operate in this uh, pandemic times. Yeah. Now, you, you've had these diagnostic you know, uh, tools and protocols and all that kind of stuff. What has the role of data and data analytics been in your response to co um, COVID-19? Oh boy, in so many different ways, where to start even, right? So one can imagine that the imp uh, impact of such pandemic and the demand of the tests, whether COVID-related or non-COVID-related, and how the impact will be uh, with all the travel restrictions taking place, what will be the impact on the supply chain of the goods, whether it's for manufacturing or for distribution. And in all of those challenging situations, data has to play a key role. And that's how to use the data to manage an absolute increase in the demand overall and uh, how to make sure that our goods are available. We make the best use of the data. I also applied some advanced distribution and forecasting algorithms that the data science teams have done. I'm really proud of the team who did that. We looked at what will be the impact, for example, when it comes to ordering, what will be the impact on HR-related topics, on employees. And another aspect where data played a key role was that it was very clear that internal data is not enough. We need to also rely on a lot of external data, for example, um, some of it which is now easily available on the data cloud, like the star schema data sets that are available worldwide. Those were key. And in the early days, it has been a challenge on how to get that, how to make the best use of it and, and deploy it in various different user scenarios. We, we also had a very interesting learning related to data and analytics that what are the gaps 
And that kind of uh, similar to the acceleration of the digital revolution, uh, we learned how we are sharing the data or what are the challenges in it. We learned about how we need to have infrastructure that supports data sharing in an easy uh, and governed access. We also learned that in order to make decisions, we need to empower the decision makers. So the freshness of the data, the insights that are generated on the timely manner becoming more and more important. So all of these aspects have a huge impact on what we have done with the data during this time. Yeah. It's interesting when we have crises or big stresses on our systems, we really spot the, the flaws in the system or the cracks or the gaps. And, and that's when you have to learn the lessons to how to be ready for the next one. So it sounds like you've been doing that. Now, almost everybody we talk to on the podcast talks about some major IT or data transformation that they're undergoing. It seems like this is perpetual. In fact, I think when I think back on my, my life covering technology, I think ever since I started doing it in 89, transformation was on everybody's lips and it still is. So I guess it's just a continuous process. But if you would talk about what you're doing with IT and data transformation for diagnostics and more broadly for the, the whole company. So as I mentioned during my introduction, I'm part of the Roche Diagnostics IT team. I am leading the BI and analytics team. And you're right, the transformation has become not just a buzzword, it's a reality. However, I think if we simplify this, the reality is the, the change is the only constant. So how do we stay agile? How do we stay uh, on top of things by learning new things and adopt and adjust? That's what to me personally, and that's how I treat the transformations. It's about learning and growing at the end of the day. So we are, of course, uh, going through various aspects of it, learning in terms of how the organization is set up or uh, when it comes to technologies or when it comes to the architecture, how to apply the modern ways of working, how to um, live in this ecosystem. And uh, that's the approach that we are taking, at least in my team in the BI and analytics area. I understand that Roche overall, the two big divisions and headquarters, I guess, too, very decentralized. I would think that would cause challenges, but also create opportunities for people using IT, sharing data, all that kind of stuff. How do you overcome the challenges and take advantage of the opportunities? That's very true. One of the key aspects I've learned and experienced in my limited time over here is that Roche has an amazing culture of decentralization, which leads to empowerment to the teams on the ground who need to make things happen. I love it. It comes with its own challenges. I think both centralization and decentralization, the extremes of both will result in challenges and advantages. So in my personal view, how can we drive the balance between the two? There are certainly few things which make sense to centralize and make sense to govern. And there are certain things that they are best left done when people are empowered, people are able to move fast, make decisions. Um, and how do we bring these both worlds together? And uh, unfortunately, it's very simple to say that, but the reality is that it's very difficult to be simple in this. And that's the challenge. I do see a lot of things that we can do, especially when it comes to data. Imagine the teams who are responsible for the data, which are decentralized, they are empowered. They feel empowered for the end-to-end -end life cycle management rather than some central team sitting completely disconnected. 
And that's a big advantage that we can leverage. I do see a huge potential and the huge model that this decentralization can help us over there. How do you, I'm just curious how you make this work. Do all the divisions share some standards for data management? Do they all share some basic platform technologies, but then each of them can do their own applications on top of it? Or is it, is it more complicated than that? In the short answer is that it is more complicated. The long answer is that uh, it depends on how you look at the whole, let's say, infrastructure stack behind your typical data and analytics solutions. It makes a lot of sense to centralize things when we are talking about the ground level infrastructure, whether on-premise or cloud, or how you manage that. I don't think there is a need to decentralize that part. We don't have to reinvent the wheel all the time. When it comes to taking advantage, if we look at the other side, other spectrum, let's say end of the spectrum over here, we do have certain needs. Not everybody's, for example, is interested in unstructured data, for instance. It is a need for a certain use cases and some departments and functions are quite knee deep in the area of uns unstructured data. So won't it be better that that team is responsible and we make them uh, responsible and accountable for the best solution when it comes to unstructured data? And that's the approach we are trying to take. There is a lot of things that have happened in past, how the whole journey start with every company. And what our direction is that centralized where it makes sense and give empowerment where it's needed to have speed, agility, and make an impact on the customers and patients at the end of the day. That's that's our objective. We have to put them in the center of our decision make, making and uh, not about, hey, who manages the platform? <laughs> yeah, I would think that in a situation like the one you're in, leadership, collaboration, even diplomacy are some of the key things to, that you need in your portfolio, your management toolkit. So you've worked for a number of companies in your career. I wonder, what are the most important lessons you've learned along the way? And how are you applying them now at Roach? My career started a long time ago, and I'm grateful to so many people who have a great influence from the day one. Uh, even when I was studying on what I have learned, what I've become, whether it's during my personal life or professional life. I think when it comes to the leadership, when it comes to applying those lessons, it's so important to remember uh, that, for example, when I started at the very humble beginning in the software development area, how to apply those best software engineering practices. Now, how they are really relate to leadership, I can totally see that I can have a very good, meaningful conversation with my data engineers. At the same time, I've been lucky, really blessed to work with great leaders who taught me the values of passion and patience and perseverance. I, I remember one of the leaders once told me, excellence has no boundaries. And that just stick to me. In general, I believe that uh, one should have a, can-do attitudes. As a leader, we are responsible to serve our teams, have a humble approach of how we can remove the roadblocks for them. And uh, that has helped a lot even when I joined Roche last year. And it was right in the middle of pandemic. So imagine waking up on your day one and sitting at a desk in your home and you are on your new job. Overcoming all the challenges, which were absolutely nicely done during my onboarding, which was thoroughly planned, and how to make a connection even in this virtual world, those lessons have come really helpful for me. And I, I can only encourage everybody, I, I even wrote about this, that one should have a can-do attitudes towards these things. 
I, I can totally understand that not everybody is in a situation where you can work in a complete virtual environment. But yes, when there is a will, there is a way. And uh, you can do things if uh, you are willing and you are willing to adjust and learn. And that to me, this learning agility, I would say, has come a long way in my career. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I read just today that Snowflake no longer has an official headquarters in California. Its headquarters is in Bozeman, Montana. So that's just a real great example of a company that's recognizing the virtuality of its existence. And I thought that was pretty interesting. It really is a symbol of a big change that's um, happened in the world for business and for people. So it's interesting. Now, you mentioned you came on about a year ago or last year. So I want to ask you a little bit about the history of Roche Diagnostics and, and, and cloud and moving data to the cloud. I know it's before your time, but if you could fill us in on that, how did it get started and what challenges did the company encounter and how did it overcome them? So the journey already started uh, before uh, I even joined and we had a number of pilots, POVs, projects, however you want to name them, that were running in pockets. Uh, but before we jump into the data and analytics part, generally people start with even some transactional type of applications and then journey of using the cloud in that perspective. And that opens up the conversation even for data eventually. A similar journey must have taken place in Roche before my time. But when I joined, one of the key tasks was to look at where we are, have a strategic view of things. And that's what we did towards the quarter three last year. And we took strategic decisions on how our approach will be in building this data and analytic solutions platforms for our business and customers and patients. And that's where we had a more strategic focus on how we will approach our setup on the cloud. I think in terms of challenges, you name it, we have faced it even in my short time over here. And I can relate to even my previous job that I've, I've faced those challenges. I may have even asked those questions in my own personal journey. To start with, I will repeat what I, I guess everybody says, the mindset. We need to open up. We need to be open-minded. We need to really understand what does it mean to have a cloud-first approach towards things. This starts with the mindset, nothing else. If we don't have that, I think that will become the roadblock in no matter what we are doing. But the architecture decisions and the approach we need to have completely changes. So we need to be aware of this. We need to be open. We need to be open to learn how to do that. The way we approach building things is very different from what you do on-premise. Gone are the days when you are ordering a physical server, waiting for a delivery, installing it in a... Uh, data center and then configuring it. I mean, those things are still important, but maybe not for company like us. They are important for another company, perhaps. And I've done that myself. I've built data centers. I've experienced those weekend nights where we said, oh God, please, we have just gone live. Please keep working over the weekend. Right. For example, the ways of working changes, you need to adopt to that. One of the aspects is costs. Difference between the capitalization and pay-as-you-go model, it's a very different mindset. Um, it's not about, oh, can I have this compute power or X amount of storage? It's about, yeah, do you really need it? Then you can have it. So real focus has transferred from the limitations of a typical infrastructure to opportunities that the cloud provides, shifting your goal towards what outcomes are we expecting. And last and absolutely not least, and maybe 
Second most important thing is learning the security aspects of it. We need to understand in depth how the security works. We need to ensure our data is secure. It's our responsibility. And as an IT leader, as in, in the area of data and analytics, I would say that is the core thing that I must ensure. Having to partners to work with uh, who also provide solutions which are secure. Uh, we have a responsibility in general to the company uh, to make the cloud journey, not just for the sake of a cloud journey, but also to have those outcomes in a secure and a compliant manner. Yeah, that's interesting. So your 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 partners, the healthcare providers and the insurance companies, they're the ones with the patient data that puts it all together. You have these discrete pieces of it. But it still has to be secured under all sorts of regulations by by countries and the EU and things like that, right? Exactly. And we have to respect them. We have to respect those boundaries. We need to be compliant to them. And those are the things that have to be at the center of our journey and the strategy that we are setting up. That's a key point, Steve. I'm grateful to one of my colleagues in the U.S. and my previous company who actually introduced me to Snowflake. And we, we were in our typical journey doing things on-premise databases and data warehouses, shifting to data lakes using Hadoop and other such things, file-based system approach, NHDFS, whatnot. Again, a massive learning for myself. I'm no expert there. Having said that, we were looking into how we take the next step, how we can scale up from where to go from there. Businesses... Business teams were becoming more and more data savvy. This, I, I would call them the citizen data roles are becoming a norm now, which means that IT also needs to change its approach, how we work with them. Another key learning for me, I would say. And that discussion and those changing dynamics in the external and internal environments have led us to look into what would be the options to uh, go ahead. And that's where we started our journey comparing Snowflake with other solutions that we were using and some of them which we were not using. We did a massive thorough exercise of comparing things using different metrics, research, ensuring that the IT securities and compliance controls are met inside out. But Omar, was this at your previous company or is this at Rush? So this was my journey started in 2019 on this. So that was my previous company. I got you. I understand now. And at the same time, when I joined Rush, guess what? Another team was in the similar boat. (laughs) And I'm pretty sure you guys also faced that in all other companies. But we joined hands and I guess the outcome was similar to what I have experienced firsthand. And now it is one of our key uh, capabilities as part of our data and analytics platform capabilities offering. Could you describe a couple of the key applications that you've developed using the Snowflake platform, the, the data cloud, and, and talk a little bit about the benefits you, you achieved with us? Sure. Our journey in diagnostics and my team on Snowflake is relatively fresh, uh, but very promising so far, very good experience response. We are as- aspiring to uh, have our entire on-premise solutions and different shapes and forms migrated to Snowflake eventually, which runs across the internal value chain of uh, the business. What does this mean? That there is a lot of excitement everywhere, but we need to start somewhere and we cannot do everything at the same time, not at least at the very beginning or not at least last year in quarter four, quarter three in 2020. So we started with the area and what better area to start with customer experience and insights 
And that was our first project, which went live last year in just eight weeks. Just to let you know, that was unheard of. And we delivered that together with a not very large, but a very good and competent team who were brave enough to take the first step. Thank you to those people. And at the same time, by the way, that team has now on the fourth release of their product and project, however you want to put it. But we have a number of things now running since then. We have initiatives going across manufacturing and quality and regulatory and supply chain. There are a number of POCs have already started in other functions as well. So we aim to multiply the efforts now across the different functions because we have now the opportunity to really scale. That limitation is gone. What we have learned in the first months of implementation is that how to enable those teams better, whether it's about skills or processes, how the ecosystem of tools needs to work to make this journey possible. And that has really helped us that how we are collaborating with our larger IT teams, as well as with our business colleagues and other IT functions to have this uh, parallelism, I would call it, in place so that we can operate across the entire value chain and not just in one function. Yeah. It occurs to me that one of the big things that's happened here is in the past, a lot of software development, project development, a lot of it was about dealing with the limitations in the system. And people now have to turn it on its head and say, now we don't have limitations. What will we do with that capability? And I would imagine that for people who are trained and all their experience in the old system, it must be quite a change, a shock almost, to deal with the new environment that they've got. That's true. And that was uh, my first comment in terms of learning that you have to overcome the mindset. The approach needs to change. And we cannot... Uh, ignore that. That's a very important aspect to keep in mind during this journey. Now, I understand that you're using the Snowflake technology to create a data mesh for Roche Diagnostics. I've, I've heard the term data mesh. I've also heard data fabric, and I'm not sure at this point, are they the same thing? And what's a data mesh? If you can start by describing that and then how you're using it, that'd be great. Is it a buzzword? Is it the next buzzword? I don't know. Uh, I cannot comment on that aspect, but I can definitely share my own personal point of view. And after implementing all shapes and forms of data warehouses and data marts on different technologies, ranging from a very classic approach with a very limited impact uh, and scope of work to uh, global deployments, creating data lakes, creating enterprise data warehouses, I've done that all. And I'm lucky that I've done that all. I've learned a lot. And those technologies, those architectural paradigms and practices have delivered what they were promised to deliver. And as it goes in life, all of those things also had their limitations. Whether the limitation was technology or not, that was not always the case. It was a key driver, a key aspect. But in 2019, if I'm not wrong, the creator of Data Mesh, Shama Dehani, who works for ThoughtWorks, when she wrote her first article, I'm not kidding, when I read that article, I was like, hey, the first half of that article really summarizes my entire career. And at the end of that, uh, mid of the article, it says that is not working. And I was like, hmm, <laughs> what have I done? And uh, I read that article six, seven, maybe eight times, different angles, different times of the day to make sense of it. And I am very grateful to Jamak, who I then approached, taking the advantage of COVID-19. I said, hey, hi, I'm Omar. I would like to learn what you have written. You have turned my world upside down. 
<laughs> and I must talk to you. She was very kind to speak to me and help me understand where she's coming from. And now there is a lot of literature and practices out there. And I don't know where, whether I'm qualified to explain to you, but I can explain my own view that it is addressing not just the technology part, but the four key principles around data. It, right. it talks about not having the centralized team to do everything, but having a more decentralized domain-oriented approach. And if you can link back to my earlier comment on the culture that we have, that fits very nicely in our culture of having decentralized ownership of the data. And that's what is one of the reasons that attracts me towards the whole data mesh approach. The other aspects are instead of doing these typical projects and then throwing the ball over the operation boundary line to somebody sitting somewhere in the world managing this application, that does not work anymore. And I'm not just talking about the DevOps piece of it. I'm really talking about the ownership of the data as a product. And that is one of the principles of data mesh as well. The third aspect is around self-service data and analytics platform, where technologies like Snowflake potentially comes in. And that platform approach is also done in a way that you are treating your platform as a product, taking inputs from these decentralized teams on what capabilities and functionalities that they need to create those amazing data products which needs to be used and reused across the enterprise. And the last aspect is governance. When we are talking about such autonomy, such freedom, we need to have also some kind of guardrails. It can be in the shape of prioritization, portfolio management, data quality policies, data governance policies, data architecture practices, etc. And that's why this approach is so different from our classic approaches of, hey, let's build a data lake and dump everything somewhere. And then we will decide after we have uh, spent months and months of dumping the data, what we will do with it. Uh, with a data product approach, the first and foremost thing that you ask is that, who's going to use my product? What are they going to do with it? And then you talk about data changes your approach towards it. And it has nothing to do with technology, ironically. And to really conclude, in my point of view on this topic, Steve, is that what Einstein said a long time ago, I guess, it is insanity to do the same things and expect different results. Right, right. So we, we have faced data challenges on data lakes and data warehouses. And this approach is different. It is talking about various categories of things that we are doing differently. And that's why I see it very promising. Yeah. Hey, say the name of the, the innovator for Data Mesh again. Her name is Jamak Devani. I think we should invite her to the podcast to be a guest. I think this, that would be a really fascinating episode. Well, I will let her know. <laughs> now, one of the things about the cloud is that it really enables powerful data sharing. And I wanted to, to hear a little bit from you about how Roche Diagnostics is, is using data sharing or how do you see using in the future? Data sharing, um, it is such an important learning. And if you relate to what I was telling you about the COVID-19 story, it, it really reinforced the importance of data sharing. I see three flavors of it, Steve. I see that we need to share data within Roche, within functions, within diagnostics, between diagnostics and pharma where appropriate. I see a potential of sharing the data with our ecosystem. One aspect of that ecosystem is with our customers. And the other aspect is, of course, 
with our uh, suppliers and vendors, for example. The third aspect is, of course, the other way around. We don't work in isolation. We work with a lot of companies who provide us the data. And in the life sciences industry, I think I can safely say the name. We also have other market research agencies working, doing primary market research, etc. And guess what? The end result of that is data. And instead of spending time in data acquisition, the data sharing that is now possible through as simple as data marketplace approach, I see a huge potential there and a huge usage for us. We can get the access to the data that we need without spending every month or every week or every day data acquisition type of activities, whether it is resources, computer or people or money or we can avoid duplicating the data. We can reuse the data on its own instead of making copies of it so that others can use it. That's why I love the segregation of storage and compute concept. Those of you who are familiar with Snowflake, I hope you can fully appreciate that concept. And the speed gains, at the end of the day, the customer needs to make decision, internal or external. Can I generate insights on time or will I spend time to get data loaded in my data warehouse in four days. We, we can get rid of that phenomena using the data sharing capability and have access to the data the moment it is shared with us, generate timely insights. That speed game is tremendous. And that promise, of course, we need to also practice it in a number of ways, I must admit, but the uh, technology is real. It works. We have seen it. We have experienced it. And that's a great functionality to have when it comes to data sharing. Now, just from our conversation so far, I mean, it's, it's clear that this whole field of data engineering, business intelligence, all these related areas has been changing incredibly rapidly in the past couple of years. But I'm going to ask you to look out now like a year or more, just relatively short term. What do you expect would be the major trends in data management and data analytics? I don't have a magic ball with me, but let's see. I think people will realize that they have to work with the ecosystem of tools, but it will get more and more integrated eventually so that we don't have to jump from tool A to tool B to tool C. And that's happening rapidly right now. We will also see the interoperability between these solutions will increase. Take the example of recent announcements on external functions that you have. Right? That's a classic example. I foresee that the large amount of work that we do, no matter where you look at, it's still pretty much with structured data, in some cases, semi-structured data with XMLs and uh, whatnot, and the value uh, pair that you have in terms of JSON files. But I foresee that things will move towards text analytics, voice-based and images incompletely into the area of unstructured, basically. Mm the value in those type of data sets can be unlocked very soon. I do see acceleration around data science and application of AI, definitely. I'm hoping and relatively even pushing forward to make things more and more productionized and industrialized in the hands of the people who needs to use AI and data science and go beyond the proof of value uh, cycle and the milestone that we have achieved. So these are the top two, three things I see that will be happening very soon in the next uh, year or so. That's an amazing lineup. And it sounds like you think AI is really going to be democratized. I mean, really put in the hands of all sorts of people, even business 
people. Absolutely. I mean, they have to use it, right? So if a sales rep or a service rep needs to make a decision and an AI needs to help them make that informed decision, what good that AI algorithm is in the hand of a data scientist? It is good in the hands of a person who will make use of it, the customer of that algorithm, the end user of that algorithm. And that will increase in my point of view, and that needs to increase if we really want to make an impact. Yeah. Well, you can imagine a time when the end user doesn't even know they're using AI. It's just so kind of embedded in and easy to use, that kind of thing. That's the future, right? Yeah. I see the future. Fascinating modern age we live in. Is this what the future holds? Well, let's talk about the future. You, you've talked it out a year and you, you've really packed a lot into that year. But now I'm going to ask you to put on your visionary cap. Let's look out five years or even more. How do you expect the data cloud to impact business and society? I mean, beyond your industry, just the whole thing. So let's take that uh, full pack one year and explode it. So data sharing will become a norm. People will laugh at the old ways of dumping in CDs and data sharing via FTP and whatnot. That will be like, are you kidding me? Who did that? You know, it's the same way our kids react to a landline phone. My son, 10 years old, have no idea how to talk on the phone because they are not used to it, (laughs) frankly speaking. They may not even understand when we make the sign of a phone with our hand, you know, with a finger and a thumb. That's the reality. It's funny, but it's a reality. And similar things will happen when it comes to data sharing. We we will say, yeah, just publish it and I will access it. Thank you so much. That's it. That really, digital journey that COVID has started, I think that will explode. We, we know it's important. Let's not shy away now. We have proven it. The world knows it. But that also means that the data explosion will take place. All type of data sets. The new normal means that we will no longer be working every time face to face. So maybe the advancements in telemedicine and things like that will explode and the tools and the technologies and the understanding of the non-structured data will explode big time. It will be as easy as writing an SQL statement in future. I think on the data sharing piece as well, the companies will realize that they need to work with each other. The chain world will, I think we have already done this this year, last year. The competition will turn into more cooperation in the favor of, let's say, consumers, in the favor of patients in our case. And to build upon what you were saying about AI, it will become a given. We will take it for granted. It will become so normal. And we will ask ourselves the question, where was it? How were people doing things, right? So when I start writing something on my email, some email clients literally complete your sentences based on your writing styles. And it can be. And sometimes it is so helpful because that's exactly what I wanted to write. And boom, I'm done. So I think a similar thing will happen when it comes to data. And this will have a tremendous impact on the business in general and society for their betterment that how we will be using data out there. For your information, there's a lot more to ogres than people think. Really need to dig deep and get to know the real you. In the real up close and personal. Omar, we typically finish with kind of a personal fun question. And I wanted to know, so what do you do when you're not working? Do you have some hobbies or a passion that you can share with us? Uh, These days, um, the hobbies have been tremendously impacted, but I have a a little quirkiness in terms of 
uh, habit that I've developed over the years. I collect a lot of things. So the secret is out. I have a huge collection of mugs and shot glasses all over the world, hundreds of them. Uh, the downside is that I have to take care of them, sometimes dust them. And since I'm at home, that's a huge responsibility. But there has been a pause on whole activity because of pandemic. And I'm really looking forward to again starting it and collecting those things again. I'm quite passionate about it. I have rerouted my taxis and asked my friends to take me to specialist stores many times just to do that. So <laughs> I find it funny, maybe not for others. <laughs> yeah, no, that sounds like a lot of fun. I used to travel a lot with, I was with IBM for a while and Business Week and my son, much younger then, would always insist that I get him a shot glass. And I would get him the tackiest shot glasses I could from wherever I was. And he really loved them. So it is a fun thing. And it'd be great to travel again. Yes, I would love to do that. I'd love to meet my team. I've not met anybody in my team in the past 14 months. I've been completely operating virtually. I'm keen to do that in a safe and healthy manner, of course. I, I hope we will not go back to that travel extreme situations, travel fatigue, but there has to be some. Yeah, yeah, we've got to find a happy medium there, I think. I guess so. Uh, it's been great talking to you today. You've really shared some wonderful insights not just about technology, but also about leadership and, and how to get things done. And it really came through to me very strongly how this COVID-19 pandemic has really forced a lot of changes, an acceleration of changes in the way we do business and the way we do IT that is a positive. So at least something good is coming out of this. And that's a bit of a relief since it's been a very tough time for the world. So thank you so much. Very nice uh, talking to you, Steve. The Data Cloud World Tour is making 21 stops around the globe so you can learn about the latest innovations at Snowflake's Data Cloud at a venue near you. Join your fellow data leaders at one of our full-day events to network with Snowflake customers and technology partners, attend educational breakout sessions, and learn how to drive more value from your data. Find an event near you at www.snowflake.com data cloud world tour.